This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Episode 2, Patchet. In part two of Peter's series on ransomware protection, Adam and Peter discuss why it's important to respond to all of those annoying software updates. Well, Peter, today we're going to continue on your white paper of 10 critical steps to survive a ransomware attack. Uh, Last time we talked about dropping administrator rights. Today we're going to talk about patching. What are we patching? Today we are patching holes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, good good question. Why do they call it patching? Uh, patching is, I, I had a client one time who said, patching doesn't sound like a good idea. It doesn't, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't sound like it's a good fix for things. And I said, well, you know, in some ways you're right. Um, patching is a process of fixing problems usually in computer software. That's the context we're using this term in. And as if you, uh, like in the real world, if you had a hole in, say, your favorite pair of jeans, or you had a hole in a tire, you know, like a punctured car tire, uh, you may patch it. And uh, similarly, if you have a hole, like a security hole or a bug, which is essentially a problem with a piece of software, the company or the person who wrote that software may create a patch. And it's essentially a fix for a problem. So patches can be really big things, which plug very big holes. Or they can be minor, little smaller things that just plug tiny little things. Like um, an example of a minor inconsequential patch could be if you... Say you're using a program and every now and then when you move the mouse cursor around, it vanishes and you can't find it anymore. That's a minor bug that might be fixed in a very minor update. It um, doesn't constitute a lot of risk. You know, It's not a huge change. It's something that the developer can fix pretty simply, so they'll roll that into a new version. But patching also sometimes can reflect a major fix for a major security flaw. And some of these, uh, if you follow computer security at all, it's, um, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been making mainstream press where we see issues like shell shock and heart bleed and all these other fancy names for computer software exploits. Mm-hmm. That they're actually making things like the New York Times and CNN, which kind of makes me laugh and cry at the same time. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great to see that these are getting mainstream press's attention, and it's also really, really sad to see how sometimes they, they butcher these things because they don't understand what they are at all. But essentially, uh, long and short, is a patch is a fix to a software problem. Mm-hmm. And I used a couple of examples, like um, at the time we were recording this, My computer had Internet Explorer version 11.0.29. So in this case, you know, the major version is 11, and then the minor point release to that is 0. So it's the first Internet Explorer 11 major branch. 
And then the very minor addition to that is the dot .29 at the end. So, you know, the different companies use different um, methodologies for numbering their systems, but in general, the major number, you know, the bigger the, vol the, bigger the number, uh, the bigger the release cycle. Uh, so if you're running Internet Explorer 11, you could assume that there have been 10 major versions of that program beforehand and lots and lots of little versions. So again, the farther to the right the, the point increment is, the less consequential it is, mm -hmm. generally. So, for example, um, like uh, about a year ago, Microsoft declared death to Internet Explorer 6. Well, they didn't actually say death to it, but they essentially stopped supporting it, and they made this huge campaign to get everybody off Internet Explorer 6. And so, you know, between Internet Explorer 6 and 11, there were five major versions. So if you were still running 6, you were five major versions behind. And so, you know, that was, they were trying to get everybody up to speed. So, uh, like I said, these patches, generally, they fix problems with software. Um, they can be relatively benign problems, problems, like I said, where, you know, like fixing a mouse cursor not rendering properly, or they can be something really serious. Uh, this past, um, this spring, we've seen a lot of patches from Microsoft and Adobe, which fix things that um, in the security industry we refer to as remote code execution. <laughs> what that means, that's, that's you know, tech speak for saying a hacker or any third party could run programs from their computer on your computer without any authorization from you. So now, um, Adam, you know, as we're talking about this right now, we both uh, own managed services, you know, managed IT services um, companies. So we frequently will execute programs on remote computers that we mm -hmm. manage, right? Right. Uh, but we're not talking about this. We're talking about basically criminals having the same exact level of access to the system that our clients entrust with us. Not cool, right? So we don't yep. want it to do that. So um, that's what these do, and if that sounds scary, it should, because you know these these flaws can result in a hacker having complete access to your computer. Mm -hmm. So, um, Adam, let me throw the ball back to your court for a second. So, so what do you do when these patches come out? Well, depend. You know, of course, whatever they're fixing, if it's a critical, you know, if it is a security hole. And, you know, Microsoft says, hey, this is a problem, or, or Java or Adobe, they say, hey, this is a problem. We've got to get this, uh, you, got, you got to get this patch on all your computers. Well, I cannot log in to, I've got 400, uh, 450 computers under management at, right now. I cannot log in to each one of those. So I use a management tool for all these disparate clients because they're over different clients. They're not just, it's not just one client and one domain that I'm controlling or not controlling, administering. Uh, so I've got to get this patch down to all of them. So I, I use a remote management software to deploy the patches to all of them and I get a nice report at the end of it telling me which ones were successful, which ones failed. Then I can also report to the client, hey, this what's the what's the last vulnerability that Microsoft had exposed? I think it was last week, something block. 
I was looking it up. Oh, but bad luck. Bad luck, yeah. Bad luck. So, you know, the Tuesday patch was supposed to fix that. You know, I can tell, you know, when I get clients that say, oh, my, you know, I saw in the New York Times that they're talking about this. We got to do something. I've already done it. You're good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I hear uh, questions will uh, some of my um, clients will have questions and they'll say, well, why do you need tools like that? We just turn on automatic updates. Well, automatic updates is OK. Uh, and. But, but the difference is I'm managing it and I know that it happens because a lot of users will go ahead and, you know, by def the default setting for Windows updates is every day at 3 a.m. And that works great if you leave your computer on 24-7 and you don't have any conflicts that are preventing it from restarting or it's not just simply turned off. Because mm -hmm. then you, then the users never actually get their update, and they don't. They're like, "Well, I never turn my computer off," <laughs> but I bet it went to sleep. <laughs> you right. know? So it didn't wake up from sleep to happen. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, just being able to manage that and making sure that it actually happens yep. is a big deal. Yeah, and that's that's something too. Um, we want to number one, you want to make sure those patches get applied, but number two. Depending on the criticality of your system, some patches you may actually deem are more of a risk than not patching them. And so, in our system that we use, we have all the, <clears throat> excuse me all the Microsoft and all the third-party patches vetted in advance. Mm -hmm. So we have a testing environment. We test out the patches there first to see because. It's, it's essentially another level of testing. Now, Microsoft, I'm sure, has a very rigorous testing problem, progress, uh, wow, program. <laughs> but Freudian slip there, every now and then uh, there's a problem and mm -hmm. they don't catch that. And on rare occasions, updates get pushed out that actually do cause problems. Yeah. So we test those out first. And you know, depending on the size of your business, we generally recommend that you have some sort of internal testing procedures as well. Now, for a company that completely outsources its IT management to someone like you or to my firm, they, they don't care about that. They're just like, you guys handle this. Mm -hmm. So we would work with the client to make sure that things are getting tested properly. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Anyway, another reason that um, I say you want to have these handled by somebody, and again, you know, you and I, we're kind of biased because we provide this as a service. I'm somebody. <laughs> somebody, exactly. <laughs> uh, you you want to have it done by somebody who knows what they're doing, and you want to automate the process and have it managed so that your users or you are not constantly getting bombarded by update notifications. Mm -hmm. Because the problem is it takes a very short time for our attention span to be exhausted and we either just start clicking cancel or no all the time just to ignore these stupid updates mm -hmm. or we start getting conditioned to click yes all the time and just accept every update that we're offered. Mm -hmm. And the real problem there is that these quote unquote updates sometimes are malware. They can be bad software posing as, you know, legitimate. Now, in the blog post that inspired this podcast that uh, went into my white paper, I listed four different Java update messages. 
and unfortunately we can't render this you know, in an audio podcast, but we can put a link in the show notes so you can see. I give four examples, and I ask, just take a look and tell me which ones of these four are legitimate updates. And they all look a little bit different, and depending on what version of Windows or Macintosh operating system you're running, they may render a little differently, but they all look fairly legitimate. And one of them is legitimate. One of them could be legitimate, depending on the circumstances. And the other two, to someone like you or I, are clearly you know, fraudulent. They're not the real thing. But an average user really wouldn't notice the difference. And we've seen this many times where, where people say, well, I, just, I got this update and I know I'm supposed to install it, so I did. And what they did was install the virus on their system and wiped it out completely. Nice. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that you, know, you want to be getting the correct updates, but you want to make sure that somebody is taking a look at it and you're applying the right things. So mm-hmm. what we generally try to do is um, you know, we want to make sure that your Windows is patched and all of your critical third-party applications. You mentioned Java. Uh, we also make sure to patch things like Adobe Reader, Adobe Flash, if you absolutely have to have it. If, if The better thing, too, side note, is if you don't need software, and I mean need, not, I think this might be kind of cool to have on my computer. If you don't need it, remove it. Because yeah. if you don't have it on there, it's one less thing that needs to be maintained, and it's one less threat to your business that you've just removed. Mm-hmm. So, um, Now, I did mention that every now and then, um, updates can cause problems. And I have heard some people say, like, oh, I don't install updates. Uh, you know, I had a client once tell me, so, Peter, I installed software, uh, an update on my system once, and it completely crashed. So I don't install updates anymore. Ever. Ever. <laughs> Exactly. And I said, that's kind of like saying I had the oil changed in my car once and the technician didn't do it right, which damaged the engine. So now I never changed the oil. (laughs) Okay. That's just ludicrous, right? (laughs) So like I said, on very rare occasions, these things can cause problems. But if you go through a testing process, it should be fairly safe and you're going to be a lot better off having the latest versions, the latest patches, the latest security fixes on your system than going without. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and then I would also like to offer a suggestion for anybody who's, you know, doing their own system and it's not managed by somebody, you know, so somebody's home computer, if, you know, if they got an update from Java and they popped up and they're like, dude, I have no idea which ones, you know, there's four different ones. I have no idea which is the right one. Just close that thing down and actually go to Adobe or go to Java and manually run that update for that program from the program itself, not from a pop-up and not from an yes. alert. Yes. You, even like the Windows updates, if you're like, hey, this says it's Windows update, you know what, I'm just going to hit the start button, hit updates, and manually run the updates. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, Brian Krebs popularized that approach uh, a couple of years ago in one of his blog posts, and he said, unless you went actively looking to update or install software on your system, never accept the offer of an update. Yeah. Because I... most of the time they're fake, you know. So if you go to a website and, you know, uh, I think Leo Laporte one time summed it up best. He says, you know, you go to this website and it's 
you have no idea if it's a real site or it's a scam site. And you know, in, in a Russian accent, you can hear someone say, "You need new flash player." <laughs> you don't want to install that. Right? Now, unfortunately, these, these scam websites are usually not so nice as to uh, you know be so obvious. Uh, but again, unless you actively went out seeking software update, don't accept those updates. Mm-hmm. I think that about wraps it up. Unless you've got anything else to add. Yep. Um, well, in your list, you you didn't mention Apple, but Apple's really bad about that too. They want to pop up their QuickTime and they want to update iTunes. Ah, uh, yeah. And if you've got a computer that you don't, as Peter mentioned, if you don't need Apple, just just an un- uninstall that thing. Make that alert go away because it's obtrusive. Yeah, Apple is one of those um, one of the big vendors, and we're talking about Apple on Windows systems as Correct. well. Um, but Apple, you know, they supply patches on their Mac operating systems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the third-party patching still needs to be done separately. Things like Adobe, things from Oracle, Java, Google Chrome, Mozilla Firefox, uh, all these things, you know, software programs that you did not get directly from Apple or directly from Microsoft on a Windows PC need to be handled separately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that... Uh... That covers it, don't you? Cool. I think that wraps it up. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. To contact either us or our guests, visit BlurringTheLinesPodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast. And leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.